All right. Let's get to uh, back to John chapter 11. And uh, my goal is to finish that chapter tonight. Um, we concluded with Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, which is what this chapter is about. Uh, Jesus called him forth, said, unbind him and let him go. So what is the response of people who hear about this, right? So verse 47 uh, will give us uh, the beginnings of the, that response. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not verse 47. It's a little further back than that. Hang on one second. It is verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. So there's one response. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus has done, uh, that Jesus had done. So there's another response. So now that the, the Pharisees have heard... Um, what are they going to do about it? Verse 47. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council meeting. This would be the Sanhedrin. And they were saying, what are we doing in regard to the fact that this man is performing many signs? If we let him go on like this, <clears throat> all the people will believe in him. Well, that was the whole point, right? <clears throat> and the Romans will come and take over both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now, remember what we have come to... Uh, in Israel at this point in time is that uh, the Romans were appointing the high priest, which is absolutely anathema to, you know, the scripture. But it was such a political position that the Romans were appointing the high priest. That's why uh, the office changed periodically. And that's also why uh, you have, when Jesus is brought before uh, Caiaphas, they bring him to Annas first because Annas was the one that they respected, the people respected as the actual high priest. Caiaphas was the one that was in office and had the authority, all right? In any event, <clears throat> one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor are you taking into account that it is in your best interest that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish instead. Now, obviously, he had an expedient motive for saying that and a worldly motive for saying that. Well, I'll examine that in a minute. But John sees the providence in this. He says, now he did not say this on his own, but as he was high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not only for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. So they've been talking about killing him since chapter five, Right? But now they're making a serious plan. Verse 54. What well, is Jesus' re response to that? Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the region near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now, the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem from the country prior to the Passover in order to purify themselves. So they were looking for Jesus, saying to one another as they stood in the temple area, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might arrest him. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm including this because it's in the same chapter, but there's... Um, there could be a number of months that go by 
between the raising of Lazarus and this, or there could be a, a number of weeks. We don't know. There's, but there's a period of time that has gone by uh, between verse 54 and 55, okay? All right, so let's go back up um, to the, the response. Many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, remember this, Mary was kind of the epicenter of the morning, right? Um, Martha was the more practical of the two, the more rational of the two. Um, certainly she was mourning, but she does not appear to have been mourning as outwardly as Mary. And also remember, she was far more receptive to what Jesus had to say, okay? Um, but Mary, as happens with mourning many times, she was a magnet for other mourners. So there were a lot of people that had gathered at Bethany. Remember, Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem. And when Mary went out to Jesus, because Jesus hadn't gone into Bethany, he was still on the road. When Mary had gone out to, to Jesus, they all thought that she was going to the tomb to mourn. So they, were, you know, they loved being involved in that. And they were going to run out there and cry with her. And so they all witnessed, I mean, this is providential, right? They all were the witnesses of the raising of Lazarus, okay? So many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. That's the whole point of John's gospel. That's what he wants to do is get people to believe in Jesus. John 1, 12, still in the prologue. And to as many as believed, in, uh, to as many as received him, um, he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who believed in his name, right? He wants to bring everybody in to be children of God. He wants to put everybody in a position where they're calling on Jesus and receiving him, right? But some, so here are others. These, these are people that saw Jesus raise a guy that had been dead for four days. And they ran to the Pharisees and told the things what Jesus had done. <laughs> what kind of person are you? Seriously, Right? So um, perhaps you're like me and you would say, well, who wouldn't believe in Jesus after you know, seeing such a, an amazing, miraculous sign? Yet there were those who ran to the Pharisees to inform on him instead. Okay, well, this, I, I said in chapter five, they'd already started talking about killing him. Um, what was the big miracle in chapter five, the third miracle that Jesus performed? Um, that was when Jesus uh, raised the paralytic uh, who had been at the uh, the pool of Bethesda, um, and he ran to the Pharisees and informed on Jesus. This was the guy that received the healing, and he ran and informed on Jesus. Right? Definitely not showing gratitude, wanting to stay in the good graces of the you know people in charge, the people in power. So the question that raises that this raises is: What does it require? What does it take to bring somebody to faith? We would think that the miraculous would do the trick, right? But that's really not the case. Throughout the scripture, the children of Israel saw a lot of miraculous signs in the wilderness. Go back and read Exodus and Numbers, right? They saw all these signs in the wilderness and yet they were, you know, they, they would be happy for a while, but they had this, God, what have you done for me lately attitude. So the next challenge that they would have, wow, there's, you know, now there's no food. Oh, now there's no water. Well, God's carried you all the way through the wilderness. And they didn't just doubt or, you know, worry. 
they accused God. They were upset with God. You know, they were upset with Moses. Why did you bring us into the wilderness to kill us and our children? Well, in the end, those complainers ended up being consigned to a 40-year sentence of wandering in the wilderness until they died. See, the thing is, if you don't believe, you die in unbelief, and it's miserable. It's like that desert. It really, really is. So um, they, uh, they returned to doubt and disbelief, that is, the children in the wilderness, suspicion and accusation again and again. A miracle may confirm faith in God, okay, or affirm faith in God confirm or affirm, but it doesn't cause faith in God. A miracle alone will not result in lasting faith. Repeat that to yourself. Well, if I could just see a miracle, if God would just, you know, say, I am here with, you know, writing in the sky or something, friend, that wouldn't make you believe. You might, hmm, for a while, okay? But that doesn't create lasting faith. Um, You're either in faith or you're out of it. You may be leaning toward faith and a miracle will bring you to a point of decision, right? However, faith cannot rest on miracles. If you're inclined to believe or uh, if you're inclined to disbelieve because of your preconceived ideas, prejudices, or competing loyalties, then the miracle won't cause you to believe. Listen, right now, You are either inclined to believe or you're inclined not to believe. You're either leaning toward faith or you're leaning away from faith. When you're leaning toward faith, then you see these various things that God does. You hear the word of God and it strengthens that faith, right? You go from leaning toward to resting in, right? To trusting the Lord. And then when the challenges in your life come, and they will come, right, um, you're going to persevere in faith. That's a big difference. We can't be thrill-seeking Christians. Now, there are whole churches that are like that. You know, they just go from one big thing to the next big thing. You know, it's, you know, huge programs and, you know, this festival and and that concert. And, and it's just like, you know, it's just, it's, it's sensationalism is what it is. It's like, you got to keep me excited, you know, because I, you know, what are you, what's going on at church this weekend? We got the big thing going on this weekend. It's the next big thing that we're going to do this weekend. It's exhausting, <laughs> you know? So I really, you know, was looking at, you know, us going into the fall and things getting back to normal. And um, I wanted to do our Christmas play again, but I just, I don't, I don't see the enthusiasm. I don't see the commitment. I don't see the desire there. And see, I can push, push, push and get people to do something, but then they're just exhausted, right? And in the end, I want to do what God is calling us to do and what will bring people in to hear the gospel, not just do something because, well, it's Christmas, we ought to do something. And we do have a lot of, you know, drama talent in this church, so it makes sense But in the end, you got to really pray about, well, what are we supposed to do here, okay? I thought about doing a fall festival, 
right in here. Uh, it didn't look like the, the trunk or treat thing was going to work because of the way the parking is laid out and so forth out here. Uh, the city's not doing any of that. But again, I, you know, it's just Beth up there doing our kids. And she's the most committed person in the world. But I can't just load a very small number of people up with more stuff to do. And even if we have more people, it's a matter of are they motivated to do that, okay? And what's the outcome? Are we just doing it because it's expected, right? Are we just doing it because we've always done it? So um, I know that's not a miracle, but it's the same sensationalism, thrill-seeking need to be stimulated that some people have. Obviously, if you're here tonight, then that's not you. <laughs> All right. Um, so you choose to have faith in a good and loving God. And you choose to believe in Jesus as his unique son. And you choose to believe the testimony of the word of God. That's what you do. It's not uh, a cause and effect relationship regarding miracles. All right, let's go to the next passage here. Um, John 11, 47 through 53, I'll reread that. Therefore, the chief priests and Pharisees convened a council meeting and they were saying, what are we doing in regard to the fact that this man is performing many signs? If we let him go on like this, all the people will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. The place would have referred to the temple. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor are you taking into account that it is in your best interest that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish instead. Now, he did not say this on his own, but as, I don't know why it says as, I, I like the word since, right? But since he was high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not only for the nation, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. So as I mentioned, the religious leaders um, have been planning or talking about killing Jesus since chapter five. However, um, they should have been the first to recognize Jesus and believe. But I talked about being inclined toward faith, right? Or leaning toward faith. They were inclined only to maintain their own position of power and prestige. And since Jesus didn't come from their school, then that would not have affirmed their position. In fact, Jesus got on to them many times. Um, Jesus threatened them. He exposed their self-serving hypocrisy and deceit. Remember back in chapter eight, you know, they said, what are you talking about set free? Because he said, you know, uh, those who... Uh, uh, continue in my word are really my disciples or truly my disciples and they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. Okay, you should just receive that. But they said, what do you mean set us free? We have never been slaves to anyone. It's kind of like I have this, uh, this habit or pattern of uh, saying to people, you know, be blessed, okay, or bless you. Um, and I really do want you to be blessed. But I can remember, and this has happened more than once. You know, you have these Christians that are like, oh, I am. I'm like, well, <laughs> you don't need my blessing. Oh, no, I'm blessed, you know. And it's like, okay, well, sorry. You don't need my blessing then, obviously, you know. I already have everything I need. Thank you. I am very satisfied. I'm happy with my life. 
right? So these folks, right, uh, they're, they're settled in their ways. Well, Jesus said, um, you don't know the Father, his Father, God, right? But you are of your Father. Who did he say their Father was? Who did he say their Father was? The devil. <laughs> he said, you are of your Father, the devil. And then he went further. He knew their plots. He said he was a what? From the beginning, a murderer from the beginning. He's a, when he, he said when he lies, he speaks his own native language because he's a liar and he is the father of lies. Wow. So Jesus just got in their little faces and said, you know what? You may wear those pretty robes, but you don't represent God. You represent yourselves. And you're not listening to the Lord. You're listening to the enemy. So don't assume, as we would be apt to do, that just because people are in church that they're living the life that they should live, that their heart and thought life is the way it should be. We don't know, right? We don't know. And by contrast, we shouldn't presume that people who are not in church are living their worst life, right? or that they're, you know, evil or in darkness or, or whatever. They need to be in fellowship. Being in fellowship is important. But um, we just don't know. People that cloak themselves in religiosity and religious language and so forth um, can be some of the most evil people around. As I mentioned on uh, Sunday, uh, it wasn't really part of the message. It was just something that I, I said um, this was very early in this now Israeli-Palestinian war. And I don't like to just jump and make comments about things and make assumptions about things that I don't know about. And I had just heard about that Sunday morning, okay? Um, but I had heard enough to see that, uh, the, that these Hamas terrorists had come into Israel, Right? And they had murdered primarily women and children. They had raped women and they had kidnapped people. Okay, well, that's horrible. And yet one of the pieces of video uh, that I had seen by Sunday morning, and I don't, I don't watch all these horrific videos. It just makes me mad. Right? I, all I need to know is the testimony that it's happened. I don't need to watch a hideous awful video of these people beheading a baby, right? These are evil people, period. They're evil people, but they're doing it in the name of God. Well, if your God motivates you to do those things, then your God is Satan, whatever you want to call him, right? Call him Jesus, call him Allah, that's not Jesus. And if Allah is just the Arabic word for God, then that's not God either. That's evil, right? Um, so we can't assume that just because people are religious, they're righteous, right? Um, so these folks, you know, they should have known better. They should have recognized that these signs pointed to Jesus being Messiah, the son of God. But instead, they're threatened. Well, he, Jesus contradicted the tradition of the elders as legitimate. And this is what they held to. Um, so the way this works um, in Jewish tradition, 
you have the law or the Torah, right? And you have the prophets and you have the writings, right? That's scripture. And then years and years later, um, pretty much during the intertestamental period, right? The period between Malachi and Matthew, you have these um, rabbis who are respected that come along and they interpret the Torah. They say, well, this is, this is what it means, okay? And they create these traditions, all right? These are, this is the Torah, these are the laws, but these are the things we need to do in order to make sure that we keep the laws. So they drew boundaries, right? They talked about the fences. You want to draw, make a fence around the law so that you don't even come close to violating the law. They particularly or especially did this with the Sabbath. So there were many, many traditions associated with the Sabbath, and they were being enforced as though they were the law, okay? So the, that, those traditions, the traditions of the elders that were being passed along um, orally at that point in time were <clears throat> after the destruction of the temple and the Jewish diaspora, those were written down, right? And they became uh, a body of work which is called the Mishnah, right? Then that was established as perhaps not quite as important as the law, but in effect as important as the law because it was interpreting the law, right? The Mishnah, right? So then you come along and you have rabbis that are <clears throat> interpreting the Mishnah. So now we're a good way away from the law or the scripture. Here's the Torah. Here's oral tradition that becomes the Mishnah, Right? And then rabbis come along and interpret that, and then that's written down, and it's called the Gemara. The Torah, oral tradition. Jesus is coming up against some of that oral tradition here. Never the law. He doesn't come up against the law. He's coming up against their interpretation of the law, right? The law become, or the interpretation, the oral tradition becomes the Mishnah, and then rabbis come along and interpret the Mishnah as though it is scripture, really, okay? That's the Gemara, and then you bring all of that, and you put it together, the mission of the Gemara, and that's the Talmud, right? And so what you see today with Orthodox Judaism is, uh, comes out of the Talmud, right? So a lot of these oral traditions have uh, made their, their way into Judaism down to our day. So let's look at an example the most glaring example of Jesus' opposition to their oral tradition is the Sabbath, right? Um, he healed on the day of rest again and again. He compelled one man to bear a load on the Sabbath. This was the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. He made mud and compelled another man to go wash. This is the man born blind in chapter uh, 9. Pool of Bethesda, stories in 5, man born blind is chapter 9. All of this to prove that their rules regarding God's holy day were nothing more than a tradition of men, not the law of God, right? Um, in fact, uh, Jesus talked to them about this in Matthew 15, three through nine. In fact, you know what? I'm gonna go there real quick. Matthew 15, three through nine, okay? This isn't about the Sabbath. This is about another <clears throat> tradition that they had of, of ceremonially washing their hands before they ate. 
Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. This is uh, Matthew 15, 1. Came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, again, this is not about cleanliness. Okay, you should wash your hands before you eat. But that wasn't the purpose of this. It was a ceremonial washing. In fact, it's the same thing we're talking about uh, at the end of chapter 11, when all these people are going to Jerusalem to purify themselves for the Passover, right? This involves this tradition of the elders. Um, the, uh, um, the pool of Siloam, remember Jesus sent, Siloam means sent, okay? The pool of Siloam, which is outside the temple grounds, where Jesus sent the man who was born blind to wash away the mud, that was one of the places where the people coming into Jerusalem to observe the Sabbath would ceremonially wash themselves, okay? Same, same idea. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said to them, this is for, uh, verse three, uh, Matthew 15, three. <clears throat> Why do you yourselves also break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? This is, yeah, this is what he's talking about. You've elevated your tradition above the commandment of God. For God said, honor your father and mother, and the one who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. That's the commandment from the Ten Commandments and then the, um, uh, the um, what would happen to somebody that violated the commandment found in Leviticus. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. Um, and that's the word there is, is uh, Corbin. He is not to, okay, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or mother. And by this, you have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Wow. So you can understand why the Pharisees didn't like Jesus because he's calling them out, right? He's calling them out on their hypocrisy. He's exposing them for what they really are. Um, back to the Sabbath, right? Jesus establishes in contrast to their tradition and in contradiction to their tradition. Jesus said, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That's Matthew 12, 12. Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. We weren't made, God's laws were made for us. They help us to understand how God created us and created the world. These boundaries are not artificial, right? Uh, they're not, you know, God just acting capriciously and saying, yeah, well, just do it because I said so. Why? Yeah, it's because I felt like it. No, this is the way we're made, right? Um, you know, thou shalt not murder and uh, thou shalt not bear false witness and thou shalt not commit adultery. This is, this is how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in, uh, you know, our relationships to one another. Uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? There's, there's only one God. So these things, I'm saying these things all make sense, right? This is the commandment of God. But when you draw these fences around those and interpret and interpret and interpret and interpret and you get so far away from them, then you're no longer keeping the commandment. So Jesus uh, let's them know it is good or lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man and not man for the Sabbath. 
And uh, Jesus came to earth to teach us and to correctly interpret the law and uh, to show us how to live, right? Um, The woman at the well recognized that. That's chapter four, verse 25. Jesus said, uh, or finally, God's son has authority that's greater than the Sabbath law. Jesus said, the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. All of this is what enraged these religious leaders, The chief priests and Pharisees represented the religious leadership that made up the the council or the Sanhedrin. The chief priests would have come from the party of the Sadducees. We don't don't see that party mentioned here in John, but that you had the Pharisees and you had the Sadducees. Um, This is a group that recognized only the Pentateuch as scripture, right? Only the first five books of the Old Testament. They rejected the prophets. They did not believe in an afterlife. They thought when you died, you just died. They didn't believe in angels, right? As a result, they're very focused on this life. This motivated them to keep the peace with their Roman overlords because this is all we got. So we want to keep our place. We're going to keep our cool temple because we get to strut around in these pretty costumes and all the people look up to us as we were gods. We don't want to lose that because they didn't think there was a heaven, right? Well, Caiaphas would have been a Sadducee. His motive for wanting Jesus dead was nothing more than expedience. We need to kill this prophet before he causes an uprising among the people and brings the Roman army down on us. Then they'll destroy the temple and take away our source of power and prestige. That's what he meant when he said they're going to take away our place and our nation. Okay. Well, interestingly, what Caiaphas feared happened in 70 AD, right? Titus, who later became emperor, marched into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, and it has never been rebuilt since. But that wasn't because of Christians. That wasn't because of Jesus. That was because of zealots, radical political people, right? Like Judas, Caiaphas acted on his own, but unwittingly served God in the process. So Judas is responsible for betraying Jesus and turning him over to the Romans. But God knew what Judas was going to do and used that for his purpose. Um, Even non-believers will end up doing the will of God. The very God they don't believe in, the very God they reject. You're going to do God's will, whether you believe it or not. You're going to do God's will and it will bless you because you're following him, you're aligned with him, or you're going to do God's will and it's going to destroy you, right? Um, So why not trust and obey and be blessed rather than becoming an example of the fool who disobeys? Jesus did die for the nation of Israel and for all people, but not to keep the wrath of the Romans from destroying the nation, Rather, Jesus died for our sins to keep the wrath of God from destroying any who will believe. This is where the theme of Jesus as Passover lamb is most symbolic. Remember, the Passover, the blood of the Passover lamb was placed on the doorposts and the lintel and the death angel passed over them, right? That's what the atonement of Jesus does. The blood of Christ is placed on the doorposts of your heart, so to speak, right? And the wrath of God, right, eternal death, hell, passes over you. That's good news. That's what Jesus came to do. 
Um, and so Caiaphas was unwittingly making a prophecy. He just didn't know what it was about, right? John eleven fifty four 54 through 57. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the region near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now, the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem from the country prior to the Passover in order to purify themselves. So they were looking for Jesus, saying to one another as they stood in the temple area, what do you think? That he will not come to the, temp to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, that he was to report it so that they might arrest him. So um, again and again, we see that there's, there are threats to kill Jesus, right? We've seen two occasions when they picked up stones to stone him. We saw this once at the end of chapter eight. That's the chapter I was quoting from earlier when they got offended because Jesus said, you know, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. And they said, well, we're already free. We've never been slaves to anybody. And then Jesus ended up calling them children of the devil. Um, and at the end of that chapter, he said, before Abraham was born, I am. They picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. Right? But he slipped away from them. In chapter 10, uh, Jesus equated himself as the son of God once again. And once again, they picked up stones to stone him. But he essentially talked them out of it. They just couldn't compete with what Jesus was saying. And so now we have this plan, and this seems to be a more, um, they've actually called it an official meeting of the Sanhedrin to make this plan to kill Jesus. So they're going to do it. So now Jesus slips away. So at the end of uh, chapter 10, remember, when they threatened to kill him, and this was outside the temple area um, in chapter 10, he had slipped back across the other side of the Jordan River to the place where John the Baptist was first baptizing. So this would have been Bethany beyond the Jordan. So it was just outside of Judea in Perea, on the east side of the Jordan River. But people were coming to him. It was a, John the Baptist had made it a famous place, right? It had been, it be, had become a, a place that was associated with spiritual renewal because that's where everybody was going to repent and be baptized by John the Baptist. So, you know, it tells us at the end of uh, chapter 10 that Jesus was there and people were coming to him. Jesus went from there uh, and went to Bethany, and this is why John doesn't call it Bethany beyond the Jordan in chapter 10, so there's not confusion because there were two Bethanies. He went to Bethany, which is two miles from Jerusalem. That's where he healed or raised Lazarus from the dead, okay? So now he leaves Bethany, the Bethany that's two miles from Jerusalem, and it says that he went to this region called Ephraim. Um, interpreters associate this with a, a, a place that, has been discovered called Ophrah. And it is spoken of in 2 Chronicles 13, 19. And there it is called Ephron or Ephraim. Okay, which Ephraim sounds like Ephraim. And it is near Bethel. So that's in the wilderness of Judea, about 15 miles north of Jerusalem. At this point, then, we there's a, there's a huge break. This is where it changes. Jesus, the, the first part of John is, is organized around these seven miracles, right? Starts with the, the water being changed to wine at uh, Cana of Galilee, and it concludes with raising Lazarus from the dead. 
And now Jesus' public ministry is at an end. He's going out there in the wilderness to get away from everybody, right? And so there's no more public ministry. What's gonna happen now is the passion. The public ministry is over. The passion is going to begin. Um, the Passover of the Jews was near, it says. Well, this is the third Passover mentioned in our gospel. The first one was 2.13. The second one was chapter 6, verse 4. And Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem for that Passover um, because in chapter 5, when he healed the paralyzed man, uh, they, threatened, they were threatening to kill him. So he stayed in Galilee. He administered with them in Galilee. That's where he walked on the water. That's where he fed the 5,000. And it was during that Passover season that he said, I am the bread of life, right? So bread was one of the things that they ate at the Passover meal. Um, so first, first and second Passover. Now this is the third Passover. So this is how we understand that Jesus' ministry lasted three years. Three Passovers mentioned three years, okay? Could have been just a little under or many interpreters think that Jesus' ministry lasted about three and a half years, okay? Um, Passover, I, I did a whole sermon on this. Uh, Passover is important in John because Jesus is our Passover lamb. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I mentioned that earlier. Uh, you need the, the blood of the lamb on your heart so the wrath of God passes over you just as the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb, caused the death angel to pass over them, all right? It says, so they were looking for Jesus. Everybody was looking for Jesus for good reasons and for bad reasons, right? Um, some were looking for him out of curiosity, which ends up not being a good reason, by the way. Uh, if the curiosity is, hey, I want to hear more about Jesus because I want to decide whether I want to follow him, then that's good curiosity. If curiosity is just, you know, sensationalism, um, thrill-seeking, you know, I just want to check it out, all right, then that's not a good thing. Only followers will receive the benefits and the blessings of the Lord. Fans will turn into foes soon enough. Plenty of fans of Jesus. So, uh, next week, we're going to get into chapter 12, and that's the triumphal entry. Jesus had a lot of fans. Woo-hoo, Jesus! Waving palm branches, Hosanna, Hosanna, yell! But those fans turned into foes five days later and started screaming, crucify, crucify. Jesus doesn't need any fans, right? He doesn't need the kind of followers that you get on Twitter, or X, or whatever it is now, okay? Um, and he doesn't need the kind of friends you have on Facebook either. Followers, apprentices, those who go to the school of Christ and seek to be like Jesus, that's what we're supposed to be doing, right? I mean, Rick Warren talks about five purposes, and I'm glad I've taught that, and it's great. But there's really only one big purpose, become like Jesus, get ready for heaven. That's your purpose, what am I here to do? Become like Jesus. Well, no, no, no. What I mean is, no, no, no. That's what you're here to do. You're here to decide whether you are going to be a follower of Jesus. And if you choose to do that, then day by day, you're here to become more like Jesus. That's it. Now, that's going to involve different things for different people. Um, you know, you, your career is wrapped around that. Relationships are wrapped around that. Uh, you know, you're going to reach out to people because Jesus reached out to people. You're going to love people because Jesus loved people. So, 
we're all doing the same things, but because we're in different places in the world and in our lives and different ages and social settings and so forth, then that's going to look a little different. But that's what we're all supposed to be doing is becoming more like Jesus. Young, old, right? You know, little kids. I, you know, I teach this little kids karate class on Tuesday. Um, my karate class uh, has dwindled to three families, but this uh, Tuesday during the day, I'm teaching for this homeschool uh, co-op. And dude, I got a lot of kids in there. A lot of kids. Well, I'm not there just to teach them karate. I'm there to teach them about Jesus. I'm there to teach them to help them defend themselves, right? Um, you know, these kids, I didn't use this term, but I was trying to help them understand situational awareness on uh, Tuesday, okay? But it always comes back around to Jesus. Situational awareness means do you know what's going on in the room around you? Do you know where all the exits are? Do you know if there's anybody sitting behind you right now? Do you know if there's anybody threatening in this room right now? Be aware of what's going on around you, okay? Um, this building is easy to monitor because these two doors are locked. There's only one entrance. It's that one. Somebody comes through that, I can see them. I'm facing the entrance, right? But you need to know there's an exit there. Go through this hallway and into the back room, there's an exit there. You need to have a plan in your mind at all times, right? You need to not let people get near you that you don't know and don't trust. Remember the six-foot rule from COVID? It's a good rule for more than germs. It really is. It's okay. You can talk in church. It's a Bible study. I'm online. That's the only reason that makes this more formal. But I, tell, I, I told these kids two weeks ago, I said, you know, I said, if you, if somebody like me, you know, an older man comes up to you on the street and starts trying to talk to you, you shouldn't talk to him. You get away from him. I said, you're trusting me now because your parents trust me and I'm here in this class. But I don't want, I, listen, the world's too crazy, okay? You get people to start running up on you and want to have all these conversations with you. Honestly, pray and move away. <laughs> you just need to be careful, okay? There was a guy that was wandering around outside the door out here earlier and man, he was just kind of, bigger guy too, just kind of, Shifting, looking in the building like this. Okay. If I'm one of you ladies, right? If I'm any of you over here, you don't open the door. You lock the door. Okay. This gentleman here, you look like you can handle yourself just fine. Okay. Me, I know I look like I'm old and fat, but I can handle myself fairly well. And so, you know, so I pushed the door open and I said, and I said, do you have any questions? And he just kind of looked at me and rocked back and forth. And then turns out kind of probably homeless guy and wants money. And that's, that's, that's all these folks ever want. They just want money. Um, but, you know, he had a simple story. Well, they threw me off the train. I said, oh, you didn't have a ticket? No. I said, you know, I don't have anything. I said, well, I said, I can give you $5 for a ticket to get back on the train. That's an easy fix right there. Happy to do that. Well, I need some money for food too. Well, all I got is $5 for you to get a ticket to the train, right? I can't do it all. Um, but situational awareness, full circle around. I want you to stay alive long enough so you could follow Jesus, 
right? That's what it amounts to. So people are looking for Jesus. Why are they looking for Jesus, right? Um, even now, we see there's a great apostasy that is upon us. There are increasing numbers of people who once considered themselves Christians who don't any longer, right? There are people who once went to church that just don't any longer, right? Um, you know, we were all told the church is not essential during the pandemic. And lots of people said, you know what? It's not. Well, that's great. Now I can go to the lake on Sunday, you know? That relieves me of a burden, right? Um, so you probably know people that have openly turned them, their backs on God. Maybe some are calling themselves atheists or agnostics or, you know, talking about the hypocrisy in the church or the American church or blah, 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 right? Others have turned away from the Bible, but they're still going to church. There's a whole group of churches over here in downtown Garland. They don't follow the Bible, okay? They openly embrace uh, many practices that the Bible clearly condemns. You can't take Jesus and use him as the mascot for your bad behavior, Right? Well, I don't believe that anymore. But Jesus, he, Jesus would understand. Um, well, the only way you know anything about Jesus, objectively speaking, is by reading the Bible. <laughs> you can't just, you, well, I just got a good feeling about Jesus. And so I'm just going to take my good feeling Jesus and I'm going to use him as the, as, the, as the label for my behavior and for my flag, Right? For my lifestyle, Jesus understands. Jesus never said. You have all of this, okay? Well, these are people that are fans of Jesus and they've reinterpreted him to try to make themselves and others around them feel good and so that maybe they can still stay in church. But apostasy is apostasy, whether you're sitting in a church pew or chair or not. And that's what we're seeing. So there can be followers and there can be fans, and there can be foes, right? That's what we're seeing here. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it, all right? So uh, in the end, we follow Jesus. It's not the other way around, okay? So we're going to start next week in chapter 12. As I said, we have ended the uh, the public ministry of Jesus, and we're going to launch into the passion of Jesus. Thank you for joining us online. We appreciate you.